You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I usually start these episodes with a story from my personal life about the subject we're going to talk about for that episode or for that day. But today is different because we're going to talk about crypto and I don't have any stories. You see, I've never invested in crypto. I was never interested in crypto. It was never part of my asset allocation, nor have I used it as a currency. That's exactly why I wanted to have Kai Tong on today, because to me, this topic has been a black box, a black box that I've ignored for far too long. And speaking of black boxes, in 2020, I think many of us did a lot of self-reflection. For many, it was around personal growth, maybe career choices, personal finances, you name it. One topic that has really surfaced post-2020 is giving back. How can we make a difference in someone else's life, and is it possible to do good for others while actually making money? I'm really glad to share with you that our new partner, Equity & Help, literally, well, helps you do exactly that. Equity and Help grows your capital while helping others and shows how the simple act of investing can make a huge difference to American families. In addition to their 8-12% to average return, which is a reward unto itself, Equity and Help makes it possible to help a family in need. Over 50% of Americans spend more than half of their earnings on rent payments, so what Equity and Help has done is to build an investment model to shrink this number. The mission of Equity and Help is to give families the realization of the American dream to own a home of their own when they might otherwise have not been able to. They have already helped almost 400 families find their home. If you're interested in a philanthropic investment model with an average return of 8-12%, to you can speak to a so-called philanthro-investor at Equity and Help. Just visit equityandhelp.com slash podcast. Again, that's equityandhelp.com slash podcast. Kai Tong is a medical student at the University of Texas Medical Branch. He is a blockchain consultant and a Quora superstar. He is a member of the Earn and Invest Facebook group, and I'm really happy to have him here today to talk about Bitcoin. Kai, welcome to Earn and Invest. Yeah, thank you for having me, Doc. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is something that most of us only have a little bit of understanding about but I'm going to date myself as an old person now and ask you, what the heck is Quora? I see it all over the place, and I know that you are a big deal on Quora, but what is it and how do people use it? 
Oh, you, you kind of flatter me a bit. Uh, I, basically, Quora, Quora is like a sort of like Yahoo Answers, but they focus really hard on like the Q&A parts and making sure the community and uh, network is really good. They, they have they have credentials that that and some verified profiles that that they have, which made made it a lot better than what Yahoo Answers was originally. So it's kind of like, I guess the a easy way to think about it is like a cross between Reddit and Yahoo Answers. That that that'd be the closest I can get to. And in fact, you answer a lot mm-hmm. of people's questions. Is it true that millions of people have viewed your answers on Quora? Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I want to move from Cora to talking about cryptocurrency. First and foremost, verify this fact for me. Is it true that you mostly paid for college and medical school by cryptocurrency? Yes. And, and I guess it's, it's a little bit complicated, but I'd say mostly yes. Because uh, like right now, I'm kind of it, like there's some parts where I took a loan and it's like not really conducive for me to pay it off right now, you know, and but I have. Like I've made more than the cost of attendance for med school and college from mining Bitcoin and some other things related to Bitcoin. It's like some businesses that were around. I'm not sure if you've seen exchanges. I've done some exchange for a while and that's been doing pretty well for me. But it's a long story. We are going to get into some of the specifics of exchanges and Bitcoin mining, because I don't think everyone knows exactly what that is. But first and foremost, you started being involved in cryptocurrency in like 2012, right? Yeah, it's it, actually, it, it was it, it, when I first heard about it, it was in 2011, and I thought it was a Ponzi scheme. So that, <laughs> it, it took me a while to kind of uh, digest through and look through all the code before I was like, okay, this is probably not a scam, you know, it took a while though. And yeah, I started 2012. It seems like cryptocurrency is only possible because something called blockchain technology. Can you explain for us a little bit about what blockchain technology is and why it made cryptocurrency possible? Yeah. So where do I start? So blockchain is basically a public ledger and I'm not sure how content savvy some of your viewers are, but basically a ledger is where, where everyone records their transactions in the in a document. So when when you have a public ledger, then you can see all those transactions that have happened on a network. In this case, if it was Bitcoin, then it would be the Bitcoin network. So you you can see all these transactions happening for each block and from when there are new transactions added, that's the next block. And these are linked by sort of, a, I guess a chain is a good analogy for it. So that's why they call it blockchain. So it is a way of verifying transactions and it's pretty efficient and pretty secure. Is that right? Is that the reason why we could then create this digital currency in which everyone could look at the same place and see the ledger and know who owns what and who's exchanged what type of digital currency? Yes. So it's the blockchain is secure in a sense of the, the cryptography that is used to, to secure that these transactions. Every every transaction has a private key, and a public. Uh, it's the pub, there's a public key and a private key. A private key is 
is signing that transaction, that, that helps to, to verify those transactions. So if someone were to uh, make a false transaction, then that, that would, that would, it would, it, these keys invalidate that. So uh, that, that, so that the reason why it's so secure though, at least in, for the Bitcoin network itself, it's because you have all these miners that verify these transactions and make sure after X amount of confirmations, you can be very certain that that transaction has happened. So I think people misunderstand sometimes how you make money off of Bitcoin. Someone who knows nothing about it might think, well, you make money off of buying and selling Bitcoin, but there are these allied jobs, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. where people make money off a cryptocurrency that has nothing to do with owning it themselves. Mining is one of those. And as you were mentioning, miners are people who are checking all the transactions on this block in blockchain. In this case, it might be Bitcoin. And when you have enough independent miners who are verifying it in enough places, that mm-hmm. helps us make sure that this is a verified transaction. And in a sense, it really democratizes the governing of this ledger. Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, the miners, they, they, are, they are rewarded for their service. To, with that, it's called a block reward. And they're, they're, that's, there's transaction fees that like if you wanted to send Bitcoin to someone else and that's they can also be remunerated in for their service in that as well. And there's actually like a machine you need to do this, right? There's like some hardware involved mm-hmm. in Bitcoin mining, correct? Yeah, it's the main way people u- use to, to uh, mine Bitcoin right now is ASIC miners. Uh, they, way back, they used to use GPUs, which are basically... The, the video cards you you have for gaming, but it's a lot harder to do that now just because all these specialized machines are a lot uh, more competitive in that sense. So we're talking about cryptocurrency and it sounds like blockchain enabled the creation of cryptocurrency. You can make money on buying and selling actual pieces of that currency or coins. You can also make money on mining, which you get rewarded for if you do it a certain amount. You mentioned exchanges before. What are exchanges? And I know that was one way that you actually made money, which helped send you to medical school. Yeah. So for exchanges, it's think of it as a, a if you have ever heard of uh, MoneyGram or Western Union, that these they 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 help facilitate transactions between. If you wanted to trade U.S. dollars for Bitcoin. Yet then you you'd want to use exchange, so it, it there's a lot of centralized exchanges which are like these big exchanges you hear of like Coinbase and they 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 operate as licensed uh, money service businesses. They they have uh, specific New York licenses as well, but there's also smaller exchanges or exchanges that don't they don't they're not not licensed. Or some some may might even be a little bit shadier, uh, but basically that they take a commission per trade. So let's say back back for me when let's say if you wanted to exchange one hundred dollars worth of U.S. U.S. dollars to Bitcoin, then I would take about zero point two percent of that transaction, and you you would receive Bitcoin. 
It's funny because as I listened to you talk about this with the exchanges and the mining, the traditional way we think about money is a bank. And that can be reassuring, right? Because the government is paying attention to that bank. They're making sure they follow the laws and the rules. But it's also kind of scary because all that power is in one specific hand or a few specific hands, and we can't control it. As you describe cryptocurrency, it's really controlled by many, many different hands. And I guess that could be scary in a sense, but it's also somewhat reassuring because it's kind of open the world to the world to police it. Is that the right way of thinking about it? Yeah, I, I think a good way to think about it is uh, to look at uh, real-life examples. So, for example, if you look at uh, Venezuela, the banks control a lot of what how people can use money, right? And there's also the monetary authorities that issue the money supply involved. So what, if they printed a lot of money, just really simplified, then it, it, that can lead to hyperinflation. And we've seen the the effects of that where people they're like maybe a thousand dollars is it's worth maybe half that in just even a week you know so it just that people are just scrambling to spend their money and you you just have a, a huge all these basic goods are really expensive for them so it's kind of more of a a way for as a sovereign type of digital commodity in that sense for, for people to exchange for goods and services where they, they don't have to rely on a, a, on a government entity and the government entity is, cannot censor those transactions that happen. And I mean, that's, that's, it, there's good and bad, like any other technology, there's, there's always, you might, there, you might, people always say like, oh, like uh, Bitcoin, there's like um, a lot of criminals or whatever. And I mean, I think this, it's, it's similar to how, you think about cash, you know, it's criminals, you use cash and they use a lot to uh, launder money, for example. And it's similar in that sense for Bitcoin, although it's a little bit more complicated, which I won't get into right now. But in, in essence, these, the, the way that you're, you're able to transact without any government censorship is really useful in certain situations like authoritarian governments where you can't trust the government. You know, and I, I think that's it's a little bit harder to appreciate that in, in the U.S. If you're if you haven't if you feel like you can trust the government a lot more than than, for example, if you're in in Venezuela or maybe even in um, Cyprus, where they where the bank took a haircut of everyone's bank accounts. They took like I think it was maybe around 50 percent of your money. So let's say if you had a million dollars in uh, Cyprus, they would take like 500 K just so because uh, that's terms of their government bailouts. You know, so, you know, it's an interesting point. As I'm listening, you talk about this. I think about the fact that U.S. currency, at least at one point, was backed by a gold standard. Not anymore, but it was. Mm -hmm. And even when you talk about Venezuela or the U.S., there is some central agency that decides whether to print the currency or not. And that controls somewhat at least the flow of the availability of the currency to the public is cryptocurrency backed by anything? Like what controls the amount of currency available at any given time? Yes, I guess the first question you had is what's, what's backing cryptocurrency? So the first thing I would say is, well, is 
is money really backed by anything right now? Because as you you alluded to at first, um, the gold used to be the backer of what uh, money was until uh, until Nixon uh, decided not to. But anyways, yeah. So the the what really backs Bitcoin, I'd say in a nutshell, is the people using Bitcoin. You've got you've they trust in Bitcoin. They use it as a as a means to buy goods and, goods and services. They use it as a store of value, uh, a unit of account. So th- those are the, the three sub-functions that we associate with uh, just commodity money in, in general. And well, you might ask like, oh, gold is physical, uh, but cryptocurrency is virtual. So what's, what's the difference, right? So I, at first I would, it's a long story, but I'll try to keep it really short and simple and concise without going into detail until later if anyone has any questions. But in short, gold, if you look at the industrial value of gold, there's not, there's, I mean, there's jewelry, some people use it for like engines and stuff like that. But, and so, but basically, if you, if you actually compare the industrial value with the price of gold, there's a huge gap here involved with the, the, the price versus value. And most people consider that as a store of value because they, they're like, okay, well, we, we still trust that gold has value and that that's basically what I would uh, put Bitcoin as, which a lot of people uh, liken it to digital gold. And I think it's um, a relatively accurate way to put it. I like that. Consider it like digital gold. Yeah. You know, we assign value to gold, as you were saying, there's not a huge amount of industrial benefit to it. Let's talk about the value of cryptocurrency. Originally, I believe it was meant to be kind of a very stable source of currency, but the value is anything but stable. What's going on with the cryptocurrency market? Why does the value per se of a Bitcoin change so often and so regularly? I think it might be a little bit more accurate to, to call it like the price volatility rather than the value. I mean, it's obviously it's a very it's been a very uh, much of a roller coaster in terms of the price volatility. But I, I personally I see the the value as pretty much the same, relatively speaking. It's 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 very early on in terms of ad- adoption, so it, it's it's gonna have a lot of price volatility. And gold itself has a lot of volatility. And in fact, if I looked closer at Recent S and P uh, price volatility is actually even higher than Bitcoin. So it, I mean, it, it kind of it kind of depends on what you mean by like what, what like price volatility itself. Like uh, it's I think it's more like people's belief in Bitcoin changes over time, and that's what's driving the prices as well as supply and demand forces. But that, that, there's, that's a very long story. I, I, I guess that's I, I want to keep it a little bit shorter unless you want to get into detail. Let me ask you this. Let me flip that and ask, do you think the value will stabilize in the future such that we don't have so many peaks and valleys? I think in the short term, no. But in the long term, when we achieve like wide scale adoption and at maturity, then yes, it would probably stabilize a lot more, but it still would have some volatility. And I I think likening it to gold is probably uh, a a similar way to put it because, I mean, it's even traded on 
TME, which is the Chicago Mercantile Exchange for Commodities, and regulated by CFTC, precisely because everyone everyone in the government describes it as a commodity. And I think commodity money is probably the closest way to put it, rather than currency itself. But then it's it's sort of like an in between. Once it gets to a, like a stable price, then maybe it'll be closer to a currency rather than just a commodity or commodity money. Yeah, that's a real important point, I think, because you know my next question to you was going to be: with all this volatility, can it actually fulfill the function that originally it was supposed to, which is to be a currency? So I think like a real world example is kind of help a bit to understand it. So one of the one of the better examples I can think of would be Argentina. There's actually a few. There, there, since the currency in Argentina fluctuates a lot, uh, the, there's a, there's also a good amount of inflation. It's not to the point of hyperinflation, but the inflation rates are very high, and uh, a lot of merchants actually prefer accepting Bitcoin or or uh, U.S. dollars if they're able to process it. But then that there's the, there's some issues with payment processors, which I won't get into right now. But basically, they they're willing to take Bitcoin because when when like it it's a one way transaction, they get it right away, and they they know okay, even though it's volatile, it's not as volatile as the currency it, like in in that region. So they rather take it, and instead of risking ninety days receiving money from credit cards or what, whatever payment processor you're using, and maybe even potentially having that transaction reversed. You, you see what I mean? So like having a one-way, almost like a bank wire, but an irreversible uh, form where the bank can't just like close off the transaction. But yeah, basically that I would, I would think that that, that helps a lot in terms of uh, visualizing and, and getting an example out there. And there are a number of nations that ex- actually accept Bitcoin as a currency. I don't know. The U.S. nationally doesn't recognize it as a currency yet, does it? I don't think any uh, government entity really uh, recognizes it as a currency. But there are quite a few countries out there, like including Japan, which has recognized it as like a means of payment and le- legal money in that sense. So they're not gonna. They used to have double taxation in places like Japan and Australia and some other countries, but they they removed that after the, after they had a a few deliberations with the regulators and, and legislators. You often hear us talk about Bitcoin, and some people even use it interchangeably with cryptocurrency. But is there anything special about Bitcoin versus the other types that are out there? I mean, there are a number of other digital mm-hmm. currencies available now, correct? Yeah, that's that's a that's a very good question. So there, there's a lot of different uh, cryptocurrencies out there. I think the the main thing that Bitcoin has going for it is there's a they have a network effect in terms of everyone is using Bitcoin and instead of like let's say why not use all these different types of metals to transact? Why are we using gold? It's because a lot of people are using gold to for for that, you know. And I think that that's that's a good analogy in, in my in my opinion. That a lot of people are already using Bitcoin. It's harder for them to switch to something else. And you you there's 
some other cybersecurity related issues in terms of some of, some of the other cryptocurrencies out there. Some of them are all right. It, it depends on what they, but they, they have, there's also different uses for different cryptocurrencies. So it's, it's going to be a long story, but I mean, in short, a lot of people are using Bitcoin, like, and as I mentioned earlier, the CME use, allows Bitcoin futures to be traded. And there's, there's a lot of miners that are already using Bitcoin, a lot of node validators, which help make that transaction faster. There's de- developers that are like really quality developers that work on this, this open source code. So that, that's, that's compared to a lot of p- cryptocurrencies, you can really see a big difference in terms of that network effect that I mentioned earlier. So it's got a better market share and it's got, it sounds like a better infrastructure than a lot of these others mm-hmm. have. So it makes sense that people would use it. Let's flip the conversation. We've been talking up to this point really about its use as a currency, but we know, especially from perusing Facebook, that everyone really loves to talk about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as an investment. Tell me in general, how do you feel about cryptocurrency as an investment? Is it a good investment, a bad investment? Is it too labile? I mean, well, first, it, it kind of depends on the individual and their risk tolerance, their goals. But for me personally, I, I do have about 4% right now in Bitcoin. And I think that the reason the reason why someone should invest in Bitcoin if they if it fits their like portfolio is because of that it's it's in the early stages of being potentially like a real digital gold in that sense. So if if you look at specifically like what what why what's like is the is the value of gold in terms of a store of value and look at okay well there's 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 central banks that, that store gold. There, there are all these other things. And, and if we think that the money supply would increase a lot in the future, then maybe, maybe having a, a small amount of Bitcoin can make, make sense, you know, in terms of having part of your portfolio in commodities, for example. I think that's, that's that for me personally, I have some gold too, but not, not a lot. Um, a good amount is in equities, real estate, you know, the, the, the usual. But yeah, that's, I think ha- having that potential to sort of uh, diversify away from any systematic risk from money itself is, is very compelling to me. And I think um, it would be compelling to a good amount of people. But it, it's, it's definitely, it, it definitely can be very volatile in, in terms of an investment. So if a lot of people, if they're really easy to, to buy and sell because of that, then it might not be necessarily very, a very good fit for them, you know, just because I've seen so many people that they, it goes up a bit and then they start selling or they, they kind of panic sell in that sense. It, it, I'm more in the long, long term. Uh, I'm looking at like decades, you know, so I don't think a lot of people are necessarily looking at that time period, but yeah, that's, that's. That's my, that's my um, opinion. You know, everyone has their opinion. A lot of us, when we look at a balanced portfolio, usually put five to 10% aside for speculative ventures. Is it fair to say that this is something that maybe would fit in that kind of speculative niche in your portfolio? Yeah, I would, I would put this as more of like a, I guess the best way to, to put it is more of an asymmetric bet. So I think that 
Bitcoin can, still has a good amount of room to go between maybe 200,000 to 850,000 based on how, as a competitor to gold. And I can get you the, the, the numbers in depth if you want, but in, maybe, maybe later after the podcast. But yeah, that's, that's where I'm aiming at. I'd say maybe from now it's like 10 to 40 times roughly. So it just, even if you have a small amount, if it goes a lot, you know, it's, it, then that's great, you know? And if it does, if, if I lose all my money for some reason, I'm, I'm fine with that, you know? I mean, that's, I do, I do balance, like rebalance a lot, but that's roughly around like what, what my uh, goal is in terms of investing in Bitcoin. I think there, there's always, I guess, I, I wouldn't like to use the word speculation because it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of vague, you know, in, in terms of its definition. If you're, if you really fully understand your investments, then I, I don't think it's, it's exactly the, the, the type of uh, values we attribute to the word speculation isn't really necessarily that accurate. I, I think it's more like, okay, well, if you think you have an edge in the market, then that, that's, let's say maybe you talk it, talk of it with some people that are experts and they, like it's a, they're a very strong, devil's advocate for you then i think that's then it can make sense you know to put in a a small amount that won't mess up your portfolio really hard if if it loses a lot of money so i just want to be clear when you're talking about 200 to 800 thousand you're talking about the cost of one coin yes that's correct so most of the trading actually is in fractions right especially for most people what they can afford is a small fraction of a coin as part of their portfolio yes that's that's correct so you we, i'm not talking about necessarily buying one bitcoin if you like if you right now it's around something around 20 to 30k i can't remember exactly i haven't really followed it but basically um if they have if someone has only a 50k portfolio or 100k portfolio then that one Bitcoin would probably be a big portion and probably not, not, not a good idea in my opinion. But everyone has different opinions in terms of how much they want to put in. In the first half of the show, Kai and I talk about some of the basic definitions of what is cryptocurrency. After the break, we dive into risk. But first... You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week. These are chef prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. 
Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. Our crowd investors were, and now you can join them in what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today you can join our crowd's investment in Nexa 3D a 3D manufacturing innovator that's shaping the future of a projected $150 billion market. Nexa 3D's best-in-class solutions give customers a productivity advantage of 20 times their competitors at up to 85% lower cost. You can get in early on Nexa 3D and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash EAI. The rcrowd account is free. Just go to o-u-r-c-r-o-w-d dot com slash E-A-I. AI. Let's talk about risks. What do you think is the riskiest part of cryptocurrency right now? There, I mean, there's there, there's a good amount of very very risky investments in terms of what they call like smaller cap, like market cap cryptos, which are there, there's there are basically a lot of projects out there that may or may not be very reputable, but I mean, like they could be, they could be good projects. I mean, it's, they're, they're, it's, I, I liken them to similar to penny stocks, you know, and they, like those projects can really do very well. But I, I think a, a lot of times over the long run, it, it's more likely a lot of them would not do very well. And that, that kind of happened in the first round of what they called ICOs, which are initial coin offerings, which also had some issues with the SEC, but I, I won't get too in-depth with the technicals. Yeah, it's safe to say when you see Bitcoin, you're talking about specifically Bitcoin, but there are a bunch of other companies, a bunch of other coins out there. And some of these smaller coins are definitely much more volatile, probably high risk, high return type investments if you're looking at them. Yep. So if you're an average Joe like me who's never dealt with cryptocurrency at all and you're like, I've done the research and I want to get involved, what is the process like? Like I know when I want to buy an S&P 500 index, I can go to my Vanguard website and connect it to my bank and buy shares. How does it work with cryptocurrency? Right. Well, that's a very good question. And I, I get asked that a lot. So the, the first thing I would look at is that well, the, the New York uh, Department of Financial Services has this licensure thing for uh, exchanges called BitLicense. And, and you can look it up on the government website. But those are the exchanges where, which has a good amount of minimum uh, amount of regulations involved. Like they have to be mon- mon- licensed money service businesses and stuff like that. It, because you, you've, got, it, you've got an issue with uh, counterparty risk, which is basically, can you trust that exchange or not. And I think a lot of times, I've seen this a lot, and a lot of people trust an exchange as a custodian to hold their cryptocurrency, right? And the problem is, if you can't trust those um, exchanges as custodians, then you can potentially lose a lot of money 
in in if you're you if you're utilizing their services to manage your wallet. And some people prefer to manage their own private wallets, which I, I think is a very good idea if you understand fully understand it. But I've also seen people that are I guess they're they're kind of new to to cryptocurrency and it's a lot harder for them to manage the cybersecurity related with that and, and just general security related with that. So I think that for someone that is new, it would be most conducive to start from what the bit licensed exchanges to if they want to invest in any type of cryptocurrencies. But there's always other ways to do it. And I think it's always, even before you invest at all, you should really fully understand your investments and really dig deep like what is like and under fully understand why are you investing in it what what the what type of expectations you have and whether those are reasonable or not so the metaphors with regular currency hold if you want to buy it or exchange american dollars or credit or something else for it you have to go to an exchange and then you can either have your coin or your fraction of a coin stored with the exchange, or you can store it in your own wallet. If I've got this terminology correct, aren't there stories of people who lose their Bitcoin because they can't access their wallet anymore? Is this something that I've heard about where people digitally lose the actual Bitcoin and can't find it? Yeah, that, that's that, that's accurate. So there, there's a lot of people that have misplaced their wallets. They forgot where they put their keys, and that that has happened. There's a lot of ways you can you can avoid that by like for example making multiple copies and storing it in different locations, and that that's why I I, I hesitate to have everyone go into private wallets if they don't really understand like a proper protocol for storing and using a private wallet. If you are worried about things like civil forfeiture or like um, the government potentially taking your money, you know, and, and freezing your assets in, in general. I think that fully understanding that protocol and using a private wallet can make sense for those people. Yeah. Isn't the story someone who gets in really early at Bitcoin, right? When it was coming out, they mm-hmm. buy a few coins thinking, ah, I'll just jump into this. What the hell? They put it in their wallet. They lose the key. And then five years later, it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and they they can't access it. Yeah, I, I know. I know a few people, uh, actually two, and then but I know a lot of other people that had like multiple copies, and they were really serious about investing in it. So there, there's three people I know that that did really well, but it, it's it, there's a lot of other people that just sold early, you know. And it's that's that's the thing. It's like if you don't have a really long term view, don't really understand it very well, then I I, I would either try to like suggest them like try to understand it better or maybe potentially not not invest in it really depends on that on on the investor itself one thing i think i've saw you talking about maybe in one of your core responses is yes you can be involved in bitcoin or cryptocurrency by actually buying it but there are now all sorts of allied ways to profit from what's happening with cryptocurrency without exactly owning it. We mentioned mining and exchanging. Those are some ways to be involved. What are some other ways that people are now getting involved in cryptocurrency without actually directly buying coins? I think that there's there so it, it depends on your definition in terms of it, in in buying coins in that sense. 
so I know a, I know a hedge fund manager that does it, it's like a uh, mid size not they're not really that big but they're not exactly a, a garage hedge fund hedge fund but they do market making which is kind of like providing liquidity for exchanges so there's they trade between exchanges with different prices so if there's a very small difference in the price they can make a profit by buying and selling simultaneously well or almost simultaneously and they they can make a difference make a, a profit from the difference so yeah. that that's one way you can sort of profit but you really have to fully understand all the inner workings of how the market works and how exchanges work before you can really do that there there's some other things like there are some people really early on including a few billionaires here and there that that did a lot of they they got into these pre-sale agreements with some companies which issued like coins and some of them were considered securities some of them weren't some of them were registered securities but basically they they a lot of people were uh, clamoring to buy certain types of really hot cryptos in that sense and then selling it right away because they they got into the pre-sale first before it was released to the the public in that sense and they made about three or four times their money roughly in a very short amount of time and i think that's if you understand like which coins would be very popular in that sense that 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 is another way that you can sort of profit from it there's just so many ways because i think it's there's so many businesses around bitcoin and, and you kind of it's kind of similar to when you think of like um, a gold rush like the california gold rush there, there was a lot of people that sell, sold them the picks and asses and they, they did very well as as well and the, it, it, i think it's it, it's a good analogy in that sense where if you if you want to invest in certain stocks that or a startup then then that could be a potential way to also invest like Coinbase is recently filing for IPO. So if you invested in Coinbase before the IPO, or then that that could be a potential way. But those really require a lot of due diligence, and I don't think it's uh, very good for investors that don't really understand angel investing or venture capital very well. But that that is another way. You know, I, I think that's just just an example. Two thoughts come to mind as I hear you talk about that. One is that probably more people made money selling picks and axes than they ever did on the gold rush, or at least a higher percentage. You knew if you were selling those picks and axes that you were going to come out with some money. The other thing is, as we mentioned, Bitcoin is open source. So you can invest in Bitcoin, but there are some companies like Coinbase that you could if you wanted to actually try to back one of those companies because you believed in the theory but didn't want to own the currency yourself. Yeah, that's that's correct. And I think that's, if you look at a lot of venture capital firms that specifically focus on these type of businesses, you you you, you can see that it, that's a pretty popular option as well. There, there's been an article in Bloomberg where uh, Yale invested in a, a these venture capital firms, but they also had a, a small amount in uh, unspecified cryptocurrency or some cryptocurrencies, which wasn't really um, disclosed. But they, they did t- say that they had some of that as well in, on top of the venture capital firms startup, startup investments. So that, that is another way. And I think that's it's, it's a good way to do it as well. 
So, Kai, are there any beliefs out there you hear about cryptocurrency that just aren't true? Like any of these common held beliefs that people keep on getting wrong that they just think are true but aren't? Mm, that, that's, a, that's a very good question. So I, I do see a lot of misconceptions out there. And I think part of it is it's early on, there are a lot of people that were uh, detractors. And I mean, not all detractors are bad or anything. It's just that some of them were, they weren't really researching the topic or field very well. So the first thing is a lot of people think that Bitcoin is anonymous but it's actually not very anonymous. It's more pseudonymous would be a, a more accurate term. There are some cryptocurrencies that are fully anonymous and Europol has been has recently reported that if they use a certain type of encryption method and way to surf the web, then they're, they're literally impossible to track. But for Bitcoin, it's actually very easy for uh, law enforcement to track you. And the, a lot of these coins that people lost, they actually got recovered in, in certain thefts. So it's not, it's not as anonymous as people think. It's actually very easy to, to track down because it's a public ledger. Uh, and the second thing, I, I guess, would be some people think that uh, Bitcoin is illegal, but it's, it, that's, that's, that's a long story. So. If you do something illegal, then I mean it's illegal. But I think it's similar to cash, right? If you if you launder cash, then obviously it's legal, right? But Bitcoin itself is not illegal, and it's it's from all the previous government regulations and regulatory agencies on it, it's pretty obvious. But yeah, that's that's another thing that people have as a misconception. It's like illegal, or it's a Ponzi scheme, or stuff like that, and the SEC has actually come out, the commissioner himself, it's, it, you could probably look it up in any reputable news organization, but Jay Clayton did say that Bitcoin is not a security. And if, if you interpret a security as, like, as the traditional definition and legal definition, then it, it, it thus cannot be a Ponzi scheme by, by definition. You know? So there, there's, that, there's that thing too. There's a lot of other misconceptions, but I think I'm, I'm, I've gone through the, the main three. So I'm going to ask you a really big, important question here, and I want you to be honest. Have you ever used cryptocurrency to pay for anything? Yeah, I've, I've used cryptocurrency to pay for quite a few things. Do you want me to go over it? <laughs> no. Was it was it a pretty easy, simple thing to do? It was pretty easy for me, but I think it can be harder for certain people if they just started. When I just first started, it took me a while to like a, a, a sort of a learning curve, but it was relatively short. Because I'm, I guess I'm, I would consider myself pretty tech savvy in that sense. But it can be harder for, like, for for example, my mom. It was a little bit harder for her to to learn, but she eventually figured out how to use it. And I think it's it, it really depends on what you want to use it for. At the moment, there's there's increasing uses for it, but I think if you're in the U.S., it's kind of hard to use it as a like a day to day transaction at the moment. But like. Well, I guess this this might be a little bit uh, more controversial, but recently, Pornhub uh, they got cut off by Visa and Mastercard. So uh, there's some they they only accept cryptocurrency now. So that's that's one way to use it, and I think that kind of fits into like the the government censorship and uh, 
payment processor censorship as well, where like you're you're sort of like you're guilty until you're proven innocent instead of innocent until you're proven guilty, which I, I think it, it really doesn't make sense well in terms of certain things like even like let's say if you're if you wanted to buy marijuana, right? In in a state that's legal where where the I mean federal law obviously, but I mean state law state law side is, is legal, right? And a lot of these marijuana businesses don't really want to keep cash because they can get it, get, they can get robberies and, and all that, right? So there, there's, there's, they, they have a pretty, pretty big incentive to collect in Bitcoin because a lot of these banks and payment processors have like totally cut them off. They have no way to bank at all. And I think that's, that's, that, that's some of the like main ways where people would use it in the US. And I, I mean, it, it, I guess that, that kind of adds to sort of a, Stadia reputation in that sense, but I think it also is like part of like what America is. You know, it's like they, they, you have a lot of these things that can be censored, like freedom of sexual expression. You know, and I think that's and that they, they can be censored by by payment processors, which aren't they're they're not subject to any government regulations in that sense. For like, like, oh, you can't, you, you have to provide payment services for certain things, you know. And I think that that also plays into other governments where, where the rule of law might not be very, very good, where you can't really trust the government very well. So you heard it here first on Earn and Invest. If you've lost your subscription to Pornhub, or if you're looking to buy some weed, you may have to go out and learn something about Bitcoin. If that is the case, how does the person uninitiated learn about Bitcoin? Are there certain places, websites, YouTube channels that are particularly good for people who don't know about it to learn? There, there's a YouTube channel that I would I would definitely recommend in terms of le- just beginners in in that sense. Andreas M. Antonopoulos. It's, it's very hard to pronounce, but I can get I can send a link for that. And I also wanted to add it. That something that might might also help other people understand how Bitcoin works is if you if you think about remittance like and cross border transactions that, that that's also another use. So, for example, if uh, in the medical field, there's a lot of nurses that are uh, from the Philippines and they want to send money back to the Philippines, and it costs around maybe 10% roughly for them to use MoneyGram or Western Union. So that that's also a big difference in terms of fees for, for people, you know, and I think that's, that, that might be a bit better than just foreigner mar- marijuana as an example, but I, I thought it was, it was also a pretty interesting example too. So. Well, Kai Yi Tong, I wanted to thank you for coming on Earn and Invest and teaching us about Bitcoin. It is certainly something I did not know a lot about and I already feel like after this conversation, I know more. If people want to learn more about you or where can they go to interact with you online? Yeah, you, anyone can uh, go on Quora if they want to read my answers. They're, they're, you can probably look up specifically by topic or you could also just message me on Facebook or join um, Doc's uh, group on Facebook and just contact me there. There's a lot of ways, but either one is fine. You can look him up on Quora. In fact, if you just Google his name, Kai Tong, K-A-Y-E-E space T-O-N-G, you will come up with Quora pretty quickly. 
Thank you for being on the show. It has been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure as well. That's a wrap. It was a blast talking to Kai Tong about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. As I said in the introduction, I don't have a lot of experience investing in such things. I always looked at cryptocurrency as speculation, and what I'm interested in is investment. Speculation is often short-term. It's risky. You could learn lose everything. And you're not always certain of the value of what you're buying. On the other hand, investment is long-term. You expect to hold it for years. You know that it has value. It rarely drops to zero. And it's what I've built my portfolio on. I did have some speculation, especially as a kid. I was a big fan of baseball cards. I was a collector of baseball cards. And as a kid, I decided to try to make it a business I collected, you know, the typical baseball cards that everyone did. One of the main companies at that time was Topps. There was also Fleer and Donruss. But there was a new kind of card that was coming out called Sports Flicks. Now, Sports Flicks were three-dimensional cards, and I thought they were the coolest thing ever. My stepfather owned a coin business, so he had a business established with a business ID. And so I took that business ID and I called all the different vendors that sell supplies for supermarkets, groceries, etc. And some of them also sold baseball cards to these entities. And so I called about 10 of these vendors up to see if I could convince any of them to sell to me the sports flicks at their discounted rate. And about nine laughed in my face and hung up, but the 10th agreed and sent me a whole case of these sports flicks. It was like 10 separate sets. And then I took those sets and put them up for slightly below retail in a magazine that sells baseball cards. I think it was Beckett, or I can't remember what it was called. This was back when I was probably 10, 12 years old. At that time, we had no internet. There was no way you were selling it on eBay. We had magazines. So there was a for sale section at the back of the magazine. I wrote out my little advertisement. I paid a few dollars to have it put in five or 10 consecutive issues. And I waited. And, you know, this was a time of snail mail. So it could take weeks. But suddenly I started getting these letters with their money enclosed, asking me to send a set of these sports flicks. I bought, I think, a case which was 10 separate sets. I sold about four. And then people's interest waned. And I didn't quite break even. I think I lost some money. But this was my first time in a speculative market. I loved baseball cards. It was a chance for me to learn about business. My stepfather owned a coin business, so he helped me set up the ad. He helped me call the vendors. It was a really great experience. But like so many forms of speculation, it's tricky because I thought these sport flicks were the greatest things in the world. But Not everyone else did. And in fact, it is now something like 30 years later. And if you go look in my storage area, I think I still have a few boxes of these sports flicks left over from the 1980s. I still haven't fully recouped my investment. That's the thing about speculation. You might hit it big, 
but you may not. So I don't have anything against speculation, but I think 90 to 95% of your asset allocation should be more investment, whether that be real estate or index funds or what have you. But that doesn't mean that you can't use five or 10% for rank speculation. After all, some of these speculative investments do hit it big and can really make your portfolio. So there's nothing wrong with them, just as there's nothing wrong with cryptocurrency. If you want to buy a little cryptocurrency, I'm fine with that. But just make sure, as Kai talked about on the episode, that you don't make it your full portfolio, that you use the portion that you use for either high risk or speculative investments. That's how you earn and invest in your future. That's how you both have the fun of buying the sports flicks and yet the security of having the index funds. Thank you for listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. That is the difference between investment and speculation. Hopefully in your life, you'll win out a little bit on each of them. Take care. Awesome. That was a good conversation. Right. I thought that, that I thought we covered a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we, we went pretty efficiently. Um, you're, you're a really good uh, interviewer, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm all into efficiency. I like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, it's, um, yeah, you know, Bitcoin cryptocurrency has been around for a long time, but most of us still don't know much about it, right? It's kind of something we hear in the media and understand it more from a social perspective, um, but don't really understand how it works. I mean, just try explaining blockchain to your average person is is complicated, right? It's like, it kind of makes sense, but it kind of is out there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it, it helps if you kind of read the code and, but I guess not many when <laughs> everyone is really um, like understands language stuff. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to really fully grasp like the, the concept of it without looking at the, the like the logic in the code so it, it, it's a lot of it's more analogy than than um for the average person you know um so that that, that makes it a lot harder to to uh convey that the the concept itself but yeah i mean i i feel like what if you talk to people that you like a third party expert that you trust it can kind of help solidify that t- type of trust in terms of okay what is what exactly is it and what type of information is like how do you parse through all of this information because there's just a lot of information out there and some of it is misinformation so i think that that kind of helps a bit tech moves fast so keep pace with the daily crunch podcast from TechCrunch. with new episodes every day this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups new tech regulations and more Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.